We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. In the 19th century, the American government discovered that it had acquired a substantial amount of property in the West, that the area was largely uninhabited. The government started giving out land parcels to anyone and everyone who were prepared to leave their home and farm it as a solution to this issue. The Benders were one household that accepted their invitation. In the fall of 1871, the Bender family constructed a modest home along the Osage Trail in Labette County, Kansas. The house was eventually converted into an inn by the father, John Bender Sr., to provide lodging for tired travellers. And that very house would serve as the ultimate resting place for many of those same weary travellers. This is the story of America's first serial killer family, the Bloody Benders. Well, hello, our fellow weirdos. It's Dom, and welcome to episode 43 of Horror House, True Crime and the Macabre. I hope you're having a fabulous Friday, and I want to remind you that you are an amazing and beautiful human being doing amazing things, and I'm so very, very happy that you are here. So, to start things off with a little bit of housekeeping, drum roll. The merch store is back. Yes, the Horror House merch store after um, like three months of not even of not just existing anymore. The merch store is back and there is new stuff. We have new hoodies. We have new sweaters. We have new tees. There's a new mug. There's some new stickers and more. And until the end of January, there is 30% off your entire order yes not just a specific item there is 30 percent off your entire order um and the code i will put in the show notes and shipping is always free wherever in the world you may be so if you want to support us and represent our show please cop some horror house merch and tag the show show it off on social media and if you have any merch ideas please just slide into the um into the podcast instagram dms and let us know but i'm super super stoked that the merch store is back uh i'm really happy with the stuff that i've been able to put together and put on the merch store and i hope you like it too but if you don't any feedback is always welcome but if merch isn't quite for you there is another way that you can support us and amy does this far better than i but I'm going to try. So, buy me a coffee is a great way to support our humble little show. You can buy us one, two, three, or however however many coffees you desire. And there is no subscription. No, no, no. There is going to be no sneaky charge coming out your bank account every month. This is just a one-time donation. So, if you want to support us financially without a monthly subscription, then please buy up some coffees and you can leave a nice note as well 
I'm more of a tea person. Amy loves coffee, so she'll appreciate it. But if you want to buy us some coffees, uh, have a look. We are struggling artists after all. So with that out of the way, let's get the ball rolling on rolling. That was way too posh. I didn't like that. Let's get the ball rolling. There we go. That's better. Rolling uh, into episode 43. And it is all about America's first serial killer family known as the Bloody Benders. Five spiritualist families began homesteading in and around the township of Osage in northwest Labette County in October 1870. This location is roughly seven miles or 11 kilometers north side of Cherryvale, which was founded seven months later. John Bender Sr. and John Bender Jr. were among the families who registered uh, 160 acres of land next to the Great Osage Trail, which at the time was the only accessible route further west. Uh, Elvira, Elvira Bender and her daughter Kate came in the fall of 1871 after a cabin, a barn with a corral and a well had been constructed. The cabin had been separated into two rooms by a canvas wagon cover. Remember that wang wangus? What the fuck is a wangus? <laughs> what is this? Remember the canvas wagon cover that separated the two rooms. Remember that because that's going to come up again a little bit later. So the front room was transformed into a general store where a few dry products were sold, while the benders lived in the smaller room at the back. The kitchen and dining room were also located in the front part where guests may stop for a meal or even spend the night. Uh, north of the cabin, Elvira and Kate Bender uh, also developed an apple orchard and a two-acre food garden. Uh, John Bender Sr. was about 60 years old and had limited English language skills. When he did communicate, it was frequently incomprehensible due to his guttural speech pattern. Uh, he was listed under the name William Bender in the Emporia News, May 23, 1873 edition. Uh, Elvira Bender, uh, age 55, was apparently so unpleasant that her neighbours started referring to her as a, quote, she-devil. And it was also claimed that she spoke very little English. So probably not a good good sign when your neighbours start referring to you as a she-devil because you're so unpleasant, apparently. Obviously, I was not around in the 1870s. I, pers I did not personally know Alvira Bender, so she might have been a really nice woman. And the neighbours just might have been a bunch of dicks. I don't know. Uh, John Bender Jr. was a gorgeous 25-year-old man with auburn hair, a moustache, and a strong German accent who spoke, who spoke English with ease. Uh, John was frequently heard laughing carelessly, which caused some people to label him as a, quote, half-wit. They did not mince their words back then, if they found you a little bit odd. That fucking half-wit, John. <laughs> um, and then we have Kate Bender, uh, who had a refined, charming demeanour and spoke English fluently and without an accent. Uh, she circulated posters promoting herself as a healer and psychic and claiming to have supernatural abilities. Uh, she also held seances and delivered spiritualism lectures, for which she became very well known for endorsing free love. The popularity of Kate made the Benders in very popular. And for this reason, 
Kate would become the face of the family's murderous, dastardly schemes. It was popularly assumed that the Benders were German Im uh, immigrants. However, there has never been any proof discovered of their origins, relationships to one another, or location of birth. Uh, John Bender Sr., who may have been John Flickinger, was either from Germany, Norway, or the Netherlands. Uh, Elvira was reportedly born at Almira Hill Mark, commonly misspelt as Meek, in the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, she later wed Simon Mark, with whom she allegedly had 12 children. 12 children. Why? <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? She eventually wed William Stephen uh, Griffith. Um, none of the allegations against Elvira as a husband killer have ever been proved. Uh, Kate was allegedly Elvira's fifth child. Uh, John and Kate were alleg allegedly not siblings, but rather husband and wife, according to some of the Benders' neighbours. Uh, those that knew the Benders and have written about them, it's probably fair to say, weren't too keen on the family um, and didn't talk about them in particularly glowing terms and have said the following. Quote, the old man was a repulsive, hideous brute without a redeeming trait, dirty, profane and ill-tempered. Not a, not a great start. <laughs> it's, it's not going to get any better, I'm afraid. Old Miss Bender was a dirty old Dutch crone. Her face was a fit, was a fit picture of the midnight hag that wove the spell murderous ambition about the soul of Macbeth. Um, young Bender, seen when excited, recalled the grave-robbing hyena at once to mind, and Kate proclaimed herself responsible to no one save herself. So, not glowing words. <laughs> the, the, the reviews are not particularly, uh, particularly good. But, with the scene set, I think it's time for a quick commercial break. I shall see you here in just a few moments. Hi, creeps and freaks. Creepies and freakies. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And we are in the nick of crime. We come to you weekly with true crime, some spook spooks, and a little bit of comedy. We focus on being a voice for victims, but we also like to rake the offenders through the coals. We can never really seem to take ourselves too seriously, but we do hope you'll join us. So keep it creepy and stay freaky. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Hey, Steven. Hey, Leo. I love horror movies. So do I. I don't love that I have nobody to talk about them with. It sucks. You see something great, you tell your friends to go see it, and they don't have the time because they have kids and a job. <sighs> they have a life. Boring. I know. Imagine if there was a podcast where you could make your buddy watch a horror movie and under threat of death they had to, and then you got to talk about it, crack jokes, things like that. That sounds wonderful. What if we did it? We could do it. Under threat of death. Yes, so much death, so much threat. I love it. We could call it Spoils of Horror. Great name. And guess what? What? We've been doing it for three months. What? It's crazy. We're on all major podcasting platforms. You can search Spoils of Horror on all social medias. Come check us out. Hang out with us. Have a good time. Join us. If you dare.
Dun, dun, dun. So, back to the episode. It was 1871 that the deaths and disappearances would eventually begin. The body of a man named Jones, whose throat had been cut and whose skull had been broken, was found in Drum Creek in May 1871. Although there was suspicion regarding the Drum Creek claims owner, nothing was done. The bodies of two individuals with the same wounds as Jones were discovered in February 1872. Travellers would start to avoid the trail in 1873 as a result of the increasing frequency of reports of individuals going missing after passing through the area. As horse thieves and villains were already well known in the area, vigilance committees frequently arrested some of them for the disappearances before the authorities would let them go. These committees also drove many innocent men who were under suspicion out of the, con- out of the county. But it was in the latter stages of 1873 that the downfall of the Bloody Benders would begin, which obviously is a short career, a short career in killing, um, but with 11 plus victims in that span, they they were putting in work. Uh, The local towns started to become suspicious when visitors to the Benders home kept going missing. Yeah, that would that would do it. (laughs) That would raise suspicion. Uh, after one family went missing in the area, their friend, uh, Dr. William York, came to the area to ask if anyone had seen them. Uh, when Dr. York would vanish himself, uh, his brother, a military military uh, colonel, arrived to the Benders Inn to inquire about him. Uh, the Benders informed uh, Colonel York uh, that the local Native Americans were likely to blame for the death of his brother. However, York's inquiry turned up a number of witnesses who said that the Benders had threatened to kill them. York discovered the inn abandoned as he went back to face the family. Of course, the natives get the blame on that one. Goddamn white people. York's party then searched the building for any sign of what happened. An unopened trapdoor under a bed was found to be the source of an unpleasant uh, stench. The party would discover clotted blood on the floor of the empty room underneath after releasing the trap. The room was six feet deep uh, and seven uh, feet square at the top by three feet square at the bottom. Uh, They used sledgehammers to break up the stone slab uh, floor, but they found no remains. They concluded that the scent was caused by the blood that had seeped into the ground. Uh, The men would manually push the cabin to the side and lifted it to look below it, but no remains were discovered. They moved a whole ass cabin and then lifted it. (laughs) That's insane. I don't know how heavy like cabins um, in this time period were. And I don't know how many of these men there were in this whole sort of search party. But still, they moved a whole ass cabin and then they lifted it up. That's madness. Uh, They used a metal rod to plough into the dirt around the cabin, paying particular attention to the vegetable garden and orchards uh, distributed soil, since it was where Dr. York's body was discovered later that day, lying face down with his feet just above the ground. Uh, Before the soldiers felt confident they had located every tomb, they noted another nine possible grave sites and kept searching until midnight. 
The following morning, nine suspected graves included seven additional victims, while one was discovered in the well along with some body parts. All but one had their heads bashed in with a hammer and their throats cut, and newspapers reported that all were indecently mutilated. The body of a young girl was discovered, however, there were no fatal injuries found, and it was assumed that she had either been buried alive or strangled. So, what was the method of choice for the benders when it came to their family business of killing? Well, as stated earlier, remember I talked about the fabric curtain. The fabric curtain separated the family's lodgings from the inn. A visitor would be seated at a table of honour facing away from this curtain when they arrived. Then, one of the when one of the other benders approached the curtain, Kate would distract them with small talk. One of the benders would then use a hammer to break the victim's skull while the victim's head could be seen through the thin fabric. The body would subsequently be lowered into the basement via a trap door. I mean, I've got to give them credit. They were efficient. They had a system. The bloody benders, as they would later come to be known, uh, would strip the body of all clothing and valuables once it was in the basement before burying it in a mass grave. Uh, money was undoubtedly a factor in the bloody benders' decision to begin murdering their victim. However, a large portion of their victims were underprivileged, which shows that the family simply took delight in murdering people. A few miles from where the benders lived, their wagon would be located. The actual family, however, had vanished. Uh, some believe they may have been killed by vigilantes, while others believed they had left the country. And no one ever found out where they had gone, despite countless sightings throughout the years. From a family lynching to a lucky escape, there are many different possibilities. It is challenging, however, to distinguish fact from fiction because of the amount of folklore and legend that surround the Benders. However, the Bloody Benders would quickly pass into legend as America's first serial killer family, and their story remains a ghastly part of Kansas folklore to this very day. And that brings us to the end of episode 43. Another old-timey case, another ye-old crime case, one could say. Wink, wink, Linz. One that is potentially little known, but is equally fascinating. I hope you enjoyed this solo episode from me. I know my voice isn't as nice to listen to as Amy's, but still, I hope you enjoy. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review and give us a five-star rating. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at horrorhouse underscore pod and on your podcast app of choice. Check out the Buy Me A Coffee page if you want to donate uh, and support us financially. And also, please check out the merch store if you feel that you want to get some merch and represent the show, whether that's a hoodie, a sticker, a mug, whatever it may be. Have a look and, yeah, treat yourself to some, to some merch. It is the season. It is the season. It is still Christmas until January the 1st, so treat yourself. <laughs> and all that's left to say from me, as always, my friends, is until next time, stay spooky. <laughs>